every one of you who confesses Jesus as Lord of the universe signs up for a significance beyond anything you ever dreamed. And I mean business men and women here, homemakers, students, to belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations. Your heart was made for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Made for Missions podcast, where our heart is to mobilize Christians towards the Great Commission. For more information, go to my website at mikefalkenstein.com. That's Mike Falkenstein, F-A-L-K-E-N-S-T-I-N-E.com. Thanks for joining us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for now the 41st episode of the Made for Missions podcast. I am one of your hosts, Mike Falkenstein, and I'm here again with uh, Ken Watmore. And Ken, how are you doing? It seems like you're doing well. Yeah, everything is going very, very well. Good. Yes. That's great. You guys having a good start to the summer? and Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Busy and fun. That's great. That's really great. Well, good. Well, in this episode, Ken, you know, I wanted to follow up with... Actually, there's another piece to the puzzle as it relates to some of the things that we've been talking about. Ken, if you remember, in episode 35 of our podcast, we talked about what what, what, I, what I'm calling the deal that a lot of pastors make with their people. And as I would encourage everyone who's listening to go back and listen to episode 35 if you haven't already. But kind of the long story short with this, Ken, was if you remember, we talked about how, you know, either church leaders are, you know, they, 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 you know, they, they talk the language of the Great Commission without letting the biblical text sink in, or they, you know, the pastors themselves aren't committed to the task of the Great Commission. And so what ends up happening a lot of times is that they end up saying to their people, boy, we, you know, if you just give us some money to kind of keep the lights on, we'll uh, not ask much of you. And together we'll kind of say that, you know, we're doing everything that uh, God wants us to do. And clearly, I think, you know, we've delineated in a, num a number of occasions that, yeah, that's just not what we see biblically, right? Right. And so just recently, over the last couple of days, I was on an online forum and we are talking about some other, myself and some other ministry leaders were talking about this same deal. And the reason that we, we talk about this a lot, by the way, is that because, you know, we really want to find an answer as to why it is that a lot of pastors are making this deal with people, at least as it seems to us that they are, and then to challenge them and encourage them to, you know, break that deal and to, you know, to see their, their, their congregations just explode in relation to, you know, uh, ministry involvement and Great Commission involvement. So in this session, this online session, my friend David Joannis brought up an idea as to why we see so many churches with a lack of uh, heart for the Great Commission fulfillment. And Ken, in this episode, what I thought we'd do is I'd kind of lay out what David and I and a number of other ministry leaders kind of figured out, maybe. And then as sort of, quote unquote, John Q. Christian, you could kind of give, a, give us your sort of quick reaction to that. I know this is all 
Uh, you've not seen much notes as it relates to this, and so you could kind of give your reaction. We could have a discussion about that, and then of course we want to end with a for the for, with uh, some ideas as to churches who and pastors who want to break this deal or don't want to do this deal anymore. So we'll give kind of a challenge to pastors and some ideas. So how does that sound to you? That's great. Yeah, I'm, good. I'm trying not to read ahead. Okay, great, <laughs> great. Well, so uh, again, in this online session, we were trying to figure out, you know why pastors are making this deal. And my friend David Joannis brought up this idea that in many places around the world, and including, you know, where we've been, where I've been working in rural China, I know this is actually true in China, that, you know, when you're called to be a pastor in the Philippines or rural China or in many places in Africa or, you know, those kinds of, those kind of places, you know, you're, you're not getting paid, right? You've become a Christian because of, you know, what Jesus has done in your own life. And then you felt this strong call to, you know, minister to people, you know, because again, of what Jesus has done in your life, pulling you out of what is a lot of times dire circumstances. I know that, again, my, my context is rural China. And, you know, Ken, in rural China, one of the things that I was most surprised about as we began interviewing Christians who were receiving Bibles that we were, that we were distributing was how much like sickness or illness or some other type of, you know, tragedy was a part of their testimony. And so what we'd see was a lot of what we see a lot of times is, yeah, I had cancer. The rural doctors had no idea how to cure it or how to treat, even treat it. I was sort of out of options. They were just saying, you know, it was time to kind of go home and take, to, you know, put affairs in order kind of a thing. And I knew a Christian. I was desperate. So I went to that person. They brought me to the church and those Christians began to pray for me and I was healed. And we see healing a lot. And, you know, which we don't, we don't see that a lot in, you know, the Western world, but, you know, no, we do, we do see it some, of course, but, you know, but it's, it's those kind of circumstances where a person that has been transformed by Jesus in such a, not just a, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven someday way, but even in this earthly life that, yeah, I was, I was considered dead and I've been brought back, you know, I'm healed. And so, you know, in the, these, these third world country situations, I mean, there's no salary for these guys. And a lot of times they minister in very difficult circumstances, whether that's lack of resources, lack of access to theological training, you know, stuff, or in some places, of course, around the world, there is actually, you know, they're, they're, they're ministering in a, in a persecution type of a situation. And so, you know, in these congregations, then in areas, around the world, we see, you know, churches that resemble much more what we see in the book of Acts. I mean, we, you remember in uh, Acts ch chapters, maybe two and three, something in that, that range where literally the, you know, where the people were selling possessions to take care of the other's needs. And that says that nobody was without. And again, in China, we see that these rural congregations, the, you know, the rice farmer, brings a portion of his rice to share with the rest of the, you know, the congregation, the corn farmer does the same. And then what's cool is the rice farmer gets some corn and vice versa. And they really are kind of an extended family, right? And they eat a lot together and they really are sharing life together. And so, and I think the end result in a lot of these areas is that these Christian communities look very attractive to people. And that's why we see, and 
I've reported on the podcast a number of times, you know, we see 500 new believers a year in these places and, you know, and it's the unpaid pastor that's leading all of this growth. And so, and then we turn then to what we're really talking about, which are these, you know, these Western pastors. And I think in the Western world, David mentioned that the maybe part of this is that the pastoral role is a very lucrative role. Again, it's a job, it's an, it's a, it's an occupation. And the church then, of course, mainly because it has to be, right? The IRS requires it to be almost like a, you know, corporation, but that means then that they have a mortgage, they have salaries, they have bills to pay. And in order to meet those obligations, they need a number of quote unquote butts in the seats, right? They need a certain amount of people. And there are even formulas where you can figure out, okay, if you need X number of dollars a month, you need X number of people because the, the average congregant, you know, will contribute, you know, a certain amount of money. And so, you know, you add to all of that. So that obviously for the pastor adds some, some pressure, right, to make this deal with these people. You don't want to lose people. Because he wants people to be there, he needs people there. He's got the mortgage to pay, and he's got the uh, you know the uh, the the electricity bill to pay. And then I just saw something on Twitter a day or two ago that the trend is that less and less in, in, in that that Western Christians less and less are interested in evangelism and sharing the gospel and pastors are then worried about losing their people so they compromise right they say well we'll we want you here we want you to stay here so we'll entertain you we'll make you feel good about yourself we'll provide opportunities to make good friends to network with others and so that's the idea, Ken, that we were talking about in the online session. And so maybe that's the reason, one of the one of the main reasons why pastors make this deal with their people that, you know, they need them there, that they, at least they, now we'll talk about kind of the flip side of that here in a bit on the uh, other side of our break. But in other words, there is a way you can have people there and not make the compromise too, right? And we've seen that in some churches as well. But give me kind of your flash kind of quick reactions to that. Do you think we're we're on to something here? Is that fair as it relates to kind of Western Christianity? Give me kind of your idea there. Well, so I think it's fair. I think I'm blessed and spoiled, right, to be part of a church that has people there and is like this really high level of quality. So I take that to the entertainment level, right? Like they're, the worship experience is phenomenal because we have really high level performers that are there and, and great worship leaders and a great, you know, great choir, great musicians. All, all these things are part of it. They have a great drama team. They have all this stuff and they do it to a level that's excellent. So I'm spoiled to be a part of a church that's that's got all that high level entertainment stuff okay. but also has a really great bible teaching pastor has mm. a really great outreach you know department you know and they and they really focus on missions right here in our community and are really sending people out around the world so they're doing all those things so from my perspective on what i see you know week to week in my church i'm seeing what i think is a really high quality great missions minded church right okay. so right. and and it goes from literally from in our community and beyond. So I think that I'm spoiled to see that. However, I do know that there are plenty of churches throughout the country that are in this category of, you know, we we want to we want to entertain and 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 make you feel good to get like you say butts in the seat so that we can concentrate on the mortgage and the things that we need to pay and 
and have a good living and be a pastor. And I definitely see that. I think more in our Western culture, the the areas that make me concerned is the continued growth of the, you know, the, the TV evangelist, the, you know, when, when we see these large stadiums filled with people that are there simply padding the pockets of a pastor who is oh, giving right. a false narrative, you know? Oh, right. And I think that that, that's a, that's a huge concern and that's what I can see, right? And, uh, but now if I was to travel around the country, I'm sure that we find even small churches with small congregations, but still have a pastor making a good living who is really quite pleased in just being able to deliver a message on Sunday and move on. You know, and I think that that's a danger. We become really lazy in our approach to what the church is supposed to be. And we, you know, we just concentrate on what what is going to be the message Sunday and get out there, deliver it, make friends with all the people and they keep coming back, you know, and and it does become this social networking type of, you know, community. And and there's, believe me. There's nothing wrong with the social networking community. No, I don't think it's, so either. It's very powerful, in fact, and sometimes despite the lackadaisical approach from the pulpit, you might have a great thriving community that's very missions focused, or you may have a, a community that at least is showing that neighborly love to one another and caring and praying for healing and seeing those kind of things. But from the pulpit, it may not be any more than just delivering a message, getting a paycheck and moving on. And I think that that's a danger just for in our culture alone, because because we've become so complacent as a civilization here in the Western world that we're okay with just going and doing our job. And if things are, if the bills are getting paid and I'm paying my mortgage and I'm a really nice person and I'm taking care of, you know, what I'm supposed to be taking care of mm-hmm. here, I feel like the complacency is okay. Like I'm doing my job and it's all all right. Oh, right. And the truth is, is that we're not, we're not leading a congregation into further, deeper relationship with Christ, a fulfillment of the obligation to the Great Commission. We're leaving that alone. We're letting it just kind of work itself out sort of rather than, you know, kind of leading the charge to go fulfill the Great Commission, to do what God's called us all to do. So I think that, I think that, yeah, there, you, certainly you're on to something in the thought process of what, how's this happening and then what do we do about it kind of thing. And I think the danger to the, you know, to the, to the person in the, in the pew or the viewing audience maybe is that what we get used to seeing, you mentioned all the healing and things that happen in the, you know, in these remote locations around the world. Right. You know that that healing is generally not being delivered by a guy in a four button down Armani oh. suit with a pocket square. You know what I mean? No. That's not, that's not the way it works. And not that people haven't found healing in those situations. <laughs> I don't, you know, God yeah, can do whatever mean. he wants to do, but what we see in the Western culture for, you know, strong faith in what God can do and how God can do it is not the same as what's really going on. I mean, this is the stuff that's really happening are the stories of people who are like, like you said, right? I, I had cancer and I actually went in the congregation, just they, they, I became part of the family. They were praying for me, not just around me in one sitting, but literally they're praying for me for weeks and months and months. And then all of a sudden the healing's gone and the doctors can't, exp- or the healing happened and the doctors can't explain it. Right. And it can only be attributed to, you know, our almighty father, right? That mm-hmm. he can heal. Mm-hmm. He did it. Not the man with the, you know, Rolls Royce that came in to an African airport and drove over to a village in a, in a Rolls, right? I mean, <laughs> That's right. It's different. It's different than what we see, and there's a real danger there. So my immediate thoughts are, I really see it happening. I'm afraid for what the perception is of what the church looks like around the world when we know that it's different than that. And 
and I do think that there's a real complacency in lots of places. But at the same time, I have to admit and acknowledge that I'm so blessed and thankful to be a part of a congregation that's, yes. that's a huge congregation that's really doing this stuff. So I get spoiled and get to see the you know the the real work being done, and it's it's fantastic. That's great. Well, I have a couple other things to say about what you've just said, Ken. So we'll continue the conversation just right after our break. So we'll let our friend Tom Muller say a few words, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tom Muller. As a pastor or ministry leader, you know the value of having congregation members excited about God's work, both at home and abroad. Think about having a church full of people who know their place in God's great mission, engaged to reach the world for Jesus. That's a church on fire. Or maybe you're a conference director looking for a dynamic speaker to come in and point people toward fulfilling the Great Commission in their lives. Mike Falkenstein would love to come and serve your church or conference by making a great speech to attendees on a Sunday morning or for a weekend event, making your event a huge success. Mike has a deep desire to make your job easier. Visit Mike's website at MikeFalkenstein.com and go to the speaking page to find out more about how you can have him come and serve you in this way. Well, Ken, we've uh, we've been having a good conversation, and in particular, I like what you just said about number one. You are right because I know your church, and so I think your church is definitely the exception, yeah, <laughs> right? Right, right? I don't know that they are making that that compromise right. with their people, and so again, uh, we'll get to that a little bit in just a minute. But certainly, you can have a big church and do all these things with excellence and have the drama department and great music and point your people towards Great Commission fulfillment, right? So at least in terms of what you said, I want to draw off of that and say, we're not coming down on all the, all, right. you know, right. to all these churches, because there are a lot of churches that are doing it the right way. That's right. For sure. Maybe second, as it relates to what you said, you know, I think for us, it was just simply that I don't even know that any of us had a problem with the pastor actually, you know, getting paid necessarily. It was just that there was kind of this connection of of, boy, yeah, if you're in one of these rural, remote areas, you know, I mean, you're doing this because simply because God calls you to do it and you're just reflecting what Jesus already did in your own life. Right. Right. And so at least the occupation, job, career, salary part of it at least says maybe it gives Western pastors some pause to go, I just need to make sure yeah, my motivations are correct and I'm doing this, you know in the right way. That's right. right? I mean, yep. just, so, I mean, we've even talked about as a group with this online, online group that the, you know, it's just easy even in ministry to, for those of us that are in full-time ministry, just to exaggerate the stories about our ministry, because a lot of times fundraising is connected to, right, the stories that you report. Yeah. Emo so, emotionally driven sometimes. Yeah. And so, and, and so again, the, you know, if the different, if it, if there's a difference between me paying my mortgage or not. And, you know, if that's dependent on the stories that I tell, <laughs> right, it's, it's at least a temptation and you have to go, no, God's going to do what God's going to do. And, you, you know, you still have to. So, I mean, just the point being money can just bring in a lot of temptations to do things that maybe you even know the Bible doesn't want you to do or God doesn't want you to do. Right. So that was at least, you know, part of that. And then, you know, so we get to Ken into the 
Okay, we've kind of laid out this this new, what I'm calling the X factor as it relates to this compromise. And we get to then the solutions, which we always want to be able to do. And I've got, when I'm, it was just a coincidence, by the way, that these five things began with the letter R, but we can now call them the five R's of kind of this challenge to pastors. And so, you know, I can, I want to take the rest of our time in the podcast to just kind of, kind of just have a little talk with pastors because on one hand, the, you know, pastors have a, a tough job, right? It's, you know, I know from the experience not of having of not being a pastor but being friends of pastors Mm -hmm. you know the pastors have a lot of challenges and you know they're the ones that get all the complaints about kind of what's going on and so we you know we on one hand we don't want to lay any more right (laughs) on pastors right they're good people and you know they got into this for a reason they felt like god called them to do it and you know again the pastors go into all of this they you know initially they go into ministry with good intentions with the heart uh, with a heart for god and so i would just say pastors if you know if any of this resonates with you and you you see matthew 28 and you know that the great commission is a command for all christians and you want to break that the compromise i'd start with just five things what number one would just be remember what you what you felt when you first accepted jesus and you know i mean this is actually can a good thing for all of us right Mm -hmm. because it's just easy for all of us to get busy with the the worries of life and kids and again mortgage and you know different things and we kind of lose that feeling that we had when we we first realized that Jesus died f- for us on the cross. I mean, that's right. You know, it's just good. And what that does, pastors, is it it just kind of helps you to get back to, you know, you got people all around you that are in the place that you were at one time. And, you know, so remembering what you felt when you first accepted Jesus is the first step. The second is recall that feeling of when you first felt called into full-time ministry. And, you know, I mean, there's just a very, what would you call it? A very sacred moment with with God because God's kind of calling you out of, you know, doing what most people do, which is, you know, working in the quote-unquote secular world. And there was a reason why God called you into this and he wants to use you in very specific ways. And then third, of course, is realize the responsibility that you have to God for your congregation. And we we could actually probably do a whole podcast on this, Ken, but I think, you know, there is a number of times in scripture where, you know, God does say that the leaders of churches are going to be, you know, held to a higher standard. And I think part of that standard is how they shepherd their congregations. You know, I think of in particular Hebrews 13, 17, which says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account and you know pastors i think you know you will have to give an account for you know the responsibility that god has given you to you know to to shepherd well just in the i mean just a couple pages later in uh, james 3 james says that not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And again, we don't want to get too far into that, but we do want to say, you know, if the command, if the if the Great Commission is a command for all Christians, and you make this compromise, I just think there's going to be an accounting for that. And so, fourthly, reject calls to make this deal with your people. And the, we'll get to this in just a minute, but as you reject that deal, pastors, actually the flip side of it is, you know, 
you get to the fifth thing, which is reap the harvest of a church fully devoted to making disciples. So, Ken, as you hear those five R's, what comes to mind for you? Anything you want to add? Yeah, I think, well, I, I think that the first two, well, I, actually, I mean, certainly they're all important pieces of this little challenge, right? But yes. I think the first piece is so critical to remember what you felt when you first accepted Jesus. That's That was an overwhelming experience for mm-hmm. most, you know? Yeah, not, definitely. And I'll say there's plenty of people who maybe accepted Christ when they were five or seven years old. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, they truly gave their lives over to him. And that may not have been such a powerful moment. And there's certainly, well, I shouldn't say powerful. It's clearly as powerful a moment, but it might not have been so maybe overwhelming traumatic or, or traumatic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like for a guy like me who had, you know, plenty of baggage and a real stuck in the mire kind of mm, lifestyle right, right, right before, it was dramatic and overwhelming. And I have to go back and remember that. And it, this is a funny analogy. Certainly, it seems a little silly equating this to what you're talking about. But, you know, I've been in the automotive world for years. Right. And as a, a general seller, manager in the automotive world, I remember telling salespeople, remember what it was like the first time you got into a new car and oh, you, uh, you know, right. you, the way that the new car smelled and it felt, and you thought it was so cool when you got your first car, all the buttons and the, you know, the <laughs> things that you Definitely. appreciated about your first car. Because when you get, when you're in that business and you're in a hundred different cars a day, all day long, you've smelled new car smell 5 million times now. Right. It's just part of your day. It's just a casual, oh, it does, right. there's nothing exciting job. about it right. anymore. You, yeah. you know, maybe every now and then you get excited about a different model or something. But the truth is, is that you're around it so much, you're involved in it so much that it doesn't become as exciting anymore. Mm. So I try and always remind my salespeople at that time, remember what it was like, you know, stop and think about it. So when somebody's coming in to get a new car, remember that when they get in and smell that new car, they don't go through this every day. That's a, that's like, oh, that new car smell, it's kind of a funny, you know, thing that people do. And yeah, I know it is. And especially a first car purchase when it's a first car for a kid or something, it's just, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty. Mm-hmm. It is. So as silly as that analogy is, the truth is, is that as a Christian, we go through our daily lives and we get to a place of complacency where we're just in it every day. And especially when you're in the role of pastor or church leader, because literally your whole life is in ministry. You're in everything that you do is church related or ministry oh, right. related. There, there's a lot of parallels. Yeah. And it just yeah. becomes part of your everyday thing. And you forget that. I, oh wow! I'm I'm supposed to remember. I'm supposed to remember what it was like when I accepted Christ. I'm supposed to remember why I accepted Christ. I'm supposed to remember why He came, died, mm-hmm. and rose again. Why? You know, there's the big why there that I forget about because it's just part of my everyday routine, and we forget to share that enthusiasm and encouragement to our congregation, mm. which results in a complacent church body. So all of a sudden, we're all laying around doing nothing. But yeah, I heard the message on Sunday, and I'm moving on. You know, back into life. Right. So and that's that. That's the danger in it. And that's why I really like this. The first two, especially remember what you felt when you first accepted Christ. Recall the feeling of when you first felt called to full-time ministry, because those are the times when it will refresh that Oh yeah, kind of. There's this great scene in the movie Hook with Dustin Hoffman, and I'll get off this train here in a second. No, you're you're good. <laughs> in the in the movie Hook, right? There's a scene when Peter Pan is he's an adult and he can't recognize that he's Peter Pan, right? Oh right, um, and. And and there's a point where he does recognize it and he gets back to that childhood kind of, you know, I'm Peter Pan. And there's a little kid in this movie that looks up at him and it's kind of a really well done cinematic thing. You're there and the kid, kid looks up and he goes, 
there you are, Peter. And you just see this bright smile. And all of a sudden it's this recognition of there you are. And I often think that, you know, God looks at us that way and reverse the roles a little bit. You know, God certainly isn't the little child looking at us, but instead he sees us as that child who first came to him. And every now and then when we recognize where we're at and we get back in touch with the Lord, and I think that God looks at us sometimes and goes, there you are. You know, it's just this subtle kind of quiet, calming, loving, there you are. I've been waiting for you to show me that face, you know? So, you know, I think that those are important things to remember as a pastor, as any church leader and and all of us. And then obviously realizing the responsibility you have to God for your congregation, you know, that's the... That's the obligatory, you know, response to those first two steps, right? I mean, yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. Now I, I, okay. I'm on track now. I remember what that's like. I remember what I'm supposed to do. Now I have to go fulfill that obligation, right? Yeah, that's right. And in fact, the obligation becomes easier when it's just a, you know, the ministry you're doing is just a response to what, what Jesus has already done. And so, in fact, that's what I've been talking about a lot with folks that, you know, you're going to, and we've talked about this on the podcast, but you're going to share about Jesus when you're completely in love with him. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just kind of not going to be this natural deal. So, well, so Ken, as we end, we go to, you know, where does this start? Where, where do we, you know, we, we, we go through the five R's and I, I just kind of, as a last word, I think, you know, it starts with the pastor and other elders committing to. Hey, whatever we do here, we're going to become a, we're going to be a disciple making church. And of course, as I often talk about to become a disciple maker, you need to be a disciple of Jesus, right? You need to be, you know, you know, we want to know Christ and make him known to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus. And yes, you'll probably, you know, you'll probably lose some people, but I think you're going to gain, you know, them back, at least the numbers in, you know, people who have been won to Christ and who are sold out to Jesus themselves. And so in this deal, if you've, pastors, if you've made this compromise with your congregation and you want to end the, you want to end it, you know, it's probably going to be kind of a, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff kind of thing, Ken, right? Where you're, right. you're going to probably lose some folks, but I'll tell you what, the people that, you win to Christ because you do have some disciples who become disciple makers are going to be, it improves church health, right? I mean, it's actually a better church. And then all of a sudden, you know, ministries begin to pop up because you have people who feel called to respond to what Jesus has done in their own lives and, you know, opportunities that you never saw coming, you know, begin to happen. And I think, by the way, Ken, that seems to be a thing that your church does pretty well, that, Mm. you know, someone has a heart to do, X, Y, and Z, and the church isn't already doing it, you know, they, of course they'll pray about it, but then they go, yeah, you've clearly been called and you're yeah. committed to doing it and you go do it. And so, you know, having that heart. So pastors, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you. I'm here at uh, Missions Mike on Twitter. Of course, you know my the website, uh, MikeFalkenstein.com. We'd love to hear comments, of course, in the actual podcast listing itself. You know, you can you can write comments. We'd love to hear from you. Of course, Ken is at Ken Watmore. Ken, any last thoughts from you? Just an encouragement, especially on the concern of, you know, do we, well, what, what if we lose people? You know, that's, that's right. I think that's always the biggest fear in any, uh, maybe church culture shift, right? But the truth is, is that one, like you said, you will gain others. God will always bless you when you're doing his work. That's right. Um, there's no, Amen. there's no fear in that. And then on top of that, you know, the people that you lose, they, many will come back. Many will come back. <laughs> that's will, right. You'll find that you're when right. your church grows and changes culture, they may have to go through a season in their life where they have to realize that 
they might not have been fulfilling the, uh, their obligation as a member of the church body, and they will come back, or they'll go somewhere else, and they'll find, you know, a fit that God set up purposely for them in a different place and good yeah, for them. And that's right. then they'll go fulfill the great commission there. So don't, I, I you can't worry right. about that. Yeah, that's right. And that, of course that could be a whole episode in, in its own, yeah. but pastors, I would agree. Don't be afraid of that. I mean, the, again, God's going to take care of you if you're doing, if, if you're doing his work and yeah, we'd love to encourage you in that way. So thanks so much uh, folks. We know this has been a little bit longer episode and uh, we're thankful that you hung in there with us. We love having you with us. We'd love to hear again. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we're so thankful that you've been with us on this, the latest episode of the Made for Missions podcast. 